Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following program is brought to you by the Preferred Home Team. Content is provided for general information only and should not be treated as a substitute for professional advice from your legal or real estate advisors. Welcome to the Real Estate Radio Hour, a forum of ideas, plans, and expert advice on all things real estate. Andy Prasky with Remax Advantage Plus was named Super Agent by Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. Chris Rooney of Remax Preferred is a Lakeshore and Luxury Home Specialist. Together they cover the Twin Cities. This combined dynamic duo has sold over 2,000 homes. Ranked in the top 1% nationwide, top 10 in the state of Minnesota, and still have time to get together every Saturday to talk about real estate. Here's Abby Prasky and Chris Rooney, Denny Law, and the Real Estate Radio Hour. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of the Real Estate Show here on 830 WCCO. Nice to have you here on this Saturday. Uh, Chris and Andy are here on this Holiday weekend. I know. Yeah, Good you morning. guys, you guys be safe. I know you'll have fun uh, in the meantime. But uh, how was the week in real estate? Before we go any further, it's been fantastic. Has it actually? Yeah, the the upper bracket market is starting to move, and so that's kind of uh, kind of fun because it's been pretty stale. Yeah. Um, for the most part, um, just because there's a lot more inventory at that at that range uh, mm-hmm. rather than lower stuff, but. I, I think it's been really good. How about you? Yeah, it's been good. I think that personally I, we've had uh, a decent uh, last uh, seven days here. But what's been happening, though, is we're reading in the in the journals that we're actually seeing housing slow down as far as for the quantity of houses being closed and the amount of houses going pending because there's a lack of inventory. Um, so we're going to start seeing some trends that are going to make the newspaper question, you know, like, like you've seen. I, I don't know if you've been, you know, if you read the paper at all, but a lot of times they're there's articles consistently now saying it's really hard to be a buyer. It's really tough to be a buyer. Buyers are sitting on the sideline. They're not sitting on the sideline. They're fighting for houses under 300000 And in my opinion, they're doing crazy things to get those house offers accepted. And I, I actually think you're going to see a bubble within the industry under the 300000 right now because there's people bidding, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand more than what a house is wow. even worth. In, in that price range. Now you go over 300 and you can get a very fair price. So what I've been recommending to a lot of our clients is actually stretching their, their uh, comfort level in an effort to get a better value. And so instead of trying to keep it under 300 for the psychology of it, you can go to 350 or 325 and have very minimal impact on your payment. And yet you can get into a pricing category that doesn't have as much competition and, and actually get you a, what I call a, a, a good value. All right. Interesting. And you say, uh, Chris, uh, the, uh, the big, beautiful homes are really... Uh, They're starting well. to, yeah. Right. Start, things are starting to move. That's so that's... Uh, you, you're starting to see showings, and we're getting contracts, and uh, they're working out. So yeah, no. Real good, good deal. Real what, good stuff. What are we going to be doing today? Well, we thought... You know how many... We get tons of tax questions oh, we do. all the time. And we run and, out of time. And, right. And we never get to them. So I took pictures of a bunch of them, um, and we're going to start answering those today. Good. We brought uh, Travis Whitford with Bay Equity uh, along again. Travis has obviously been here a number of times. One of our go-to guys. 
Supposed to say Happy Memorial you. Weekend. Wake up, Trav. <laughs> All right, buddy. Get right. him another cup of coffee, quick. <laughs> Back to the questions. <laughs> All right, here we go. 62-year-old divorced retiree. Should I be updating every few years or let my daughter do all when she inherits? And she's only 62. <laughs> it's got some time. Yeah. I think well, um, if you live to 105, yeah. you know, that's a long time. I don't think you should. I mean, if you don't want to update, you don't have to update, but you got to maintain, you know. And so if you need new furnaces and stuff right. like that, I mean, that that's separate or a new roof because if you don't have a, a roof, you know, and it starts leaking, that's going to cause a heck of a lot more problems. Deferred maintenance, you can have mitigation of damages because of leaks or because of whatever. And it, there, you can, you know, imagine all the millions of scenarios there are. But, yeah, I would I would say to keep the house sound. And then as far as the changes or the updates or whatever, let, let, let the daughter actually in, inherit that and actually uh, make the changes that she wants and, and make it her own. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, too, I mean – I mean, she's only 62 years old, and yeah. I think she, inheriting talks about uh, death, and uh, I yeah. think she's got a long time. And I mean, and trends change. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're starting to see a lot of, uh, uh, in St. Louis Park, we did a, a flip where it was all the blue tile. Mm-hmm. I mean, blue was everywhere, and the blue was on the floor as well. All we did was we switched the floor, mm-hmm. and it looked fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it totally, I mean, and that's in. Mm-hmm. now so you never know what's going to come back well it always baffles me too you know you go look at some of these older houses and i don't know if the the products or the materials are different but you look at some of these houses that were you know built back in the 50s and the 60s and the tile work is original and it's pristine there's not a crack in the grout there's not a a thing wrong with that tile and what's interesting is you get an interior decorator in there that has a different set of eyes than we do and they'll say hey Let's keep the blue toilet and the blue sink. Let's replace the countertop. Yep. But we want it to look the same. We want the same funky shape. They never used to do them square. They do them, you know, narrow, and then they do an angle or whatever kind of cool. And and that's actually kind of on trend again. And it's it's a uh, it's a fun way to accent a house. You know, respect what's already there and take advantage of of the uh, the retrofitting the the new uh, modern. I can't uh, I cannot disagree with you at all. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. Um, another text is convince me to do an adjustable rate. Arm product for financing. Mr. Bay Equity. First question I'm going to ask is, uh, uh, well, two big questions. How long do you plan on being in the house, and what do you expect your income to do over the next few years? Those are the, those are the, the two big things that you got to kind of focus on. If, if you plan on only being in the house maybe five years and you know you're going to be out of there due to potential job change or, you know, family increase where you know you're going to have, why not look at an arm and take advantage of that cheaper payment, you know, for, for the interim? Um, other thing, you know, people who recent college graduates, you know, they get their first job, they, they know they're going to be getting more money in the future. You know, why not take advantage of the lowest payment that you possibly can? And as your, as your arm potentially increases later on in life, your income will also increase. So you can, uh, so you can, um, offset that increase in payment or you refinance it, you know, when it, when it gets time to uh, the arm adjusting. Well, you know, an interesting strategy I've learned with some of the relocation people I've helped in the in the past is that they'll actually go to a 15-year mortgage intentionally so that they're whittling down that principal and, and so that they actually have in five years, they have enough equity there to actually make the next move and so they're not stuck or they don't have to write out a personal check to actually sell that house to pay fees or whatever else. So 
Um, it comes down to where what I would suggest you do is you, you, you decide what your plan is and then you surround yourself with the professionals that can help you accomplish your goals. Yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, when people talk about adjustable rate mortgages, they think that it's going to change right away, but that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, the, the most standard adjustable rate mortgages are 5, 7, and 10-year um, adjustable rate mortgages. So what I does mean, that mean? It means the rate is fixed for 5, 7, or 10 years. And then um, after that initial fixed period, uh, typically is just an annual adjustment period, and there's caps on that to where it can't go up or down by more than too much. So. You know what, Andy was kind of talking about term term limits there, 15 and 30 year. But if also if you do an adjustable rate, rather than doing what the fixed rate payment is, maybe add that same money that you were going to pay at that higher rate. Oh, yeah. You know, and then put it towards your principal. Yep, that's a, that's a big tool that, uh, that we advise our clients on is you know what you know what are you you know what are you comfortable paying um there's you can always overpay on a mortgage you know you can't underpay well if you do you know there's other ramifications but you know overpaying paying some you know having a 30-year mortgage or an arm but paying like it's a 15-year to really increase that principle is is a very good strategy yeah but to get like a 10-1 arm and so it's fixed for 10 years and then after that it can adjust based on different scenarios but um, the odds, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, Andy, I, I mean, people staying in their houses longer and longer. It just doesn't, it, it yeah. doesn't happen. I mean, there's some, I know there is, but I mean, we're going back every five to seven years mm-hmm. usually. And and also the reality too, is the average length of time that somebody has a mortgage for is about seven years. Mm. Um, the average length of time that a first time home buyer has a mortgage for is just under five. And, you know, the two reasons for that is, you know, A, you're refinancing to take advantage of a, a better interest rate or you have a, some cash out goals or whatever, um, and then you move, you know. So when you kind of add all that stuff up, I mean, it's it's pretty much five to seven years, depending on if you're a first or a second time buyer. So what do you recommend, Andy? Should they go with an adjustable rate? I'm not afraid of adjustable rates. I think that you just have to look at, you know, I think most of the listeners listening assume that people pick adjustable rates because it has the lowest payment and then they're sneaking into something that they can't afford. And I think that if that's what you're doing, then I'm against it. Um, if you're doing it because it's a tool that helps you achieve your goals, then I say, go for it. Yeah. yeah. I think some people are kind of remembering back and, oh, for you sure. know, in the wicked times where, I mean, where you thought an adjustable rate mortgage was, it was a negative amortization loan, Yeah, you know, or so they'd have like zero. I mean, you'd have like 1% interest, but Reality, the interest rate was three point five, and then they'd add it on to the back of the mortgage. Right. So yeah, you those those were the scary kind of bad loans. And if you didn't know what you were doing with those, everyone got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you'd make a payment like a payment rate of one percent, but interest is accruing at four percent or whatever. So you got a three percent increase each and every month that's going on your uh, balance. So, but luckily those loans are kind of out of out of the out of this world now. Hey, well, let's do. Let's take a break. As usual, we'll uh, come back. We're trying to catch up on some of your uh, uh, text questions. We have more to come, so don't uh, don't go away. This is the holiday weekend. Be safe this weekend. We'll be back uh, in just a moment or two with more Real Estate Talk here on 830-WCCO. And welcome back to this portion of the Real Estate Show here on 830-WCCO. If you're just joining us on this holiday weekend, we're trying to catch up on so many of your uh, text questions that we did not uh, get around to. So bear with us. Chris and Andy, uh, Travis here. Uh, where do we go from here, guys? Yeah, well, let's continue on here. Um, here's, a, here's a good one. Would you recommend, and we'll do it for both of us because I don't. I assume that's what they meant, 
But would you recommend young college grads get in this business? In the real estate? In real estate or the mortgage industry. Let's talk about them both. Okay. So as as 10,000 feet up looking down, I, I would say um, it, it's a very risky business, and it requires a lot more work than most people realize. Um, from an individual perspective, if I met someone that was entrepreneurial spirited and they're responsible, like they could literally run a store where they would manage employees, they would manage marketing, they could manage, um, you know, the client experience. That's the kind of person that is successful in today's world. And, and being more of a customer service has nothing to do with sales anymore. I think that uh, real estate agents that I meet can be quiet as long as they're informative and they're knowledgeable and they're um, in what they're talking about. And so I really break it down to individuals because I don't think it's the business that everybody thinks it is. I don't think it's the you walk in and make millions of dollars and you don't have to work. It's the opposite. It, it's actually becoming a, a brutally um, challenging industry. Um, there's lots of competition, and you have to be on your toes all the time. So That's true, but there's a, there's a big lack of younger people in this industry. And so that's, uh, I think, Why do you there, think that there's is, some though? opportunity because I think it takes too long to make some money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if you were to get into the business and sell a house your second day in, you're still not going to get paid for 60 or 90 days, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it, I think that's hard for people mm-hmm. um, in which to do. I, I always suggest people that are first getting into the business, um, like myself, I did. And I grew up in a real estate family. So I had, mm-hmm. like, I was, I was lucky, but I didn't sell a house for six months, right. you know? And so I, I bartended at the same time. Sure. But I ended up selling at where I bartended. I had sold about seven houses to those people. So, I mean, but it was a great way in which to network. And I think some people are... Too prideful. You know? Well, and I think that there's a lot of people that say, you know, they get out of school and they're like, I don't want to jump into a, a 100% straight commission industry. They, they would rather take a salary job and learn how the world works and, and learn on somebody else's ticket, if you will. And then then this is their second career or their, um, you know, their their third, um, you know, career. And now they have that worldly experience that they know that they need to make themselves successful. So I think a lot of people get into this business more. That's why I see more people getting in in their 30s and in their 40s. Some even, you know, all the way up through retirement age. Absolutely. Because they want to, they, they love real estate or they, like I said, I got hooked on, Denny, the re, the real estate industry, just going to the Parade of Homes when I was a kid for my dad. My dad was a cabinet oh, guy. How about that? We would go call on these builders and we would give us, and I go, this is really a fun, I actually got a kick out of going and previewing all these houses and found a way to make that part of my career. I, I actually loved the new construction aspect of it and turned it into a real estate business. And, and and vice versa. I mean, there's people that start on the real estate side, meaning they just help buyers or they just help sellers or they, they have a specific area. They want to call their home. You know, they, they pick a city and then they just market to that area. So there's lots of different ways to apply yourself, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a pretty easy business to get into as well. I mean, you basically yeah. got 90 hours of education, take a test and, and you're in. How about from the mortgage side? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with uh, both of you guys' responses. Um this day and age, the average age of a loan officer, I, I think, is in the 50s. So, mm-hmm. you know, having new blood in, in this business, give me somebody that's intelligent, um, that is good at networking and motivated, and they can succeed. Um, and who's the biggest, like, buying pool right now? It's mm-hmm. the recent college grads, or they're one of the biggest. So mm-hmm. when you're also a recent college grad, think of all your friends that might be looking to want to buy. Sure. You know, so you got a you got a pretty good network and sphere of influence right there that you don't even realize that you have as potential well, clients. And, and you got into the business when you were younger. I know when you started and I, and I was in, I think I was in my late twenties and you still got the, um, so you, you start now you're a real estate agent. 
and you start going out there and you try to earn business. And your buddy's parents usually are the ones that were upgrading their houses or your friend that got lucky and got the good job was buying his first house. It was hard to earn the respect being younger. And I'm sure that's an Indian in uh, any industry that's out there. But what what's happening now is I'm seeing some of the younger agents actually thriving right now because they are the information providers. They know how to market differently than the old dogs do. They actually bring a different spin to the industry, which I actually crave. I, I love this industry and I love, you know, having people with new and creative ideas that help people get more money for their houses and help people ultimately get the goal of, of accomplishing selling or buying their house. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the young people and encourage it. You know, I wondered if there's Makes any relationship to uh, to <laughs> what are. you guys are saying in your respective businesses. There's, there's not a lot of young people. And that translates the same with the trades. Mm-hmm. We've all heard right. that. You oh, can't sure. get the young people interested in uh, plumbers, carpenters, et cetera. Well, yeah, you know, I think that's a lot of us as, as parents, too, guiding our kids saying you have to go to college. Yeah. Well, college should be, you know, in, in, in my We've had a lot of opportunities to interview lots of people and, and over the years, and we meet lots of clientele, especially in the high-end prices, and they say, what would you say to our kids that are younger nowadays? And a lot of them are saying they would go to tech school. They would go to become a plumber, an electrician, and have a wonderful job, a career that's going to be fulfilled and busy because there's just not a lot of people there, which will keep right. you in demand, will keep your you know your wages higher, hopefully. And uh, But there's a lot of different angles. I mean, education is different for everybody. That's so. true. Next question. I have a rental home in Northeast Minneapolis that the renter wants to purchase. What do I do? It's a good question. Number mm-hmm. one, you got to find out the value of that. Um, no, number one is you have the renter call me to get pre-qualified. Oh, that's number one. Okay. Let's find out the price first, and then we'll send them over there. Yeah. <laughs> so but, so uh, you're saying whatever they qualify for is what the sale price of the house would be then, or what do you say? Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> we got to yeah. make sure the guy's I'm teasing you, of course. Yeah. You no, know, I know, but the people listening, I'm sure they're 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 running the math through their heads too. I, I like Chris's idea though of appraisal first, or you know, real estate agent in there yeah. first, just to look at it. But I think it's really important. I mean, to at, from that owner perspective, I mean, depending on what price segment you're in, mm-hmm. lock it into one person. You know, just because oh, it's the renter and it'll be it'll work. I'm telling you what, I I've been going through now like my properties, my rental properties, and I've had renters wanting to buy them, and I'm getting mm-hmm. the renters out. Yep. And making that house show as pos- as best as I possibly can because I'm getting a ton more money um, from that. You're going to typically take less for that convenience uh, of getting it done. Yep. But uh, I would definitely check in and just have a realtor out, you know, that's familiar uh, with that area. Well, and there's a lot of tenants, too, that will have the, well, I've been improving this property for you, so I, I should get a better deal than the average consumer. There's a lot of the implications of equity or entitlement, if you will, when somebody's in that property already. And so what, what I always, I, I agree with you, Chris, a million percent, establish a value, see if they're even interested at that value. And then I would talk to them about, well, if I'm thinking about selling and you don't want to buy it at my price, what is your plan? Because we're month to month or your your lease is up in August and, and we're going to expire that lease. So, you know, those are the things that I would start talking to them about. But now tenants in houses, when you sell them, Chris, you just said you'd take the person out of there. Why do you do that? Oh, I would. You have to. I mean, because their 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 job is not to get that place sold. Their mm-hmm. job is to keep staying there, you know. And so, them accommodating people and typically, I mean, in all of our leases, mm-hmm. it states that they have twenty four hour notice. So now, now you're delaying showings. Then when they come there, then maybe they left the dog in there, and then all the dishes are in the sink. You know, I mean, all of that kind of stuff totally affects it. And uh, and then what's even worse is when the tenants stay there yep. and then telling them exactly everything that's wrong with that house. 
in an effort to not have somebody totally. buy it so they can stay leasing it. Absolutely. They can buy it themselves <laughs> at a lot better price. But I'll tell you what, to me, get them out. But a lot of people don't because it's twelve, thirteen hundred dollars that they're going to lose out on, you know, versus they're going to lose ten thousand because of it. Yeah. So you got to, right. I mean, you'll you'll double your money easily. You got to think bigger picture for yeah. sure. And I say that when we're listing houses too, take off the week because for most people that week's salary will benefit them way more than getting that salary. It'll benefit them on the sale of their home mm-hmm. if they clean it up and do the things right. So Good point. All right, I'll tell you what, time for a break. We're trying to uh, catch up on your, uh, your text questions that we've uh, missed over the last couple of weeks or so, so stay with us. And we'll be back uh, with more here on this holiday weekend with more Real Estate Talk on 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our real estate show here on 830-WCCO. Again, if you're just joining us on this holiday weekend, thanks for doing so. We're catching up on some of your um, text messages that we didn't have time to get to in the last uh, couple of shows or so. Here again, Chris and Andy. All right. Um, our, we're doing, like you said, we're doing the text questions. And uh, here's another good one. Um, I think this is going to lead into a lot of stuff. But our home sale fell apart at closing when a judgment showed up. How does that possibly happen? Okay, so they must have had a obviously judgment on who buyer or don't know. Okay, I mean, it doesn't say. I'm assuming but, the seller because it's on the property. Yeah, let's let's or let's just say that it was maybe it was on the buyer. It's you know yeah. I mean that can happen at some point. You know, if a, a judgment shows up, uh, I mean, so typically you'd hope that that judgment would be on the buyer's credit report, but sometimes it's not. You know, and then sometimes you know these title companies do what's called a name search that uh, you know does a search for everybody who's named, you know, John Smith, and then all of a sudden there's a judgment that shows up against them that, that has to be remedied, and it truly is them. You know, so uh, as in a mortgage world, if there's a judgment, you, know, you typically are going to have to pay it off prior to closing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, say you know, you're bringing 15 grand to closing, that's you only have 16 in the bank, and you got this $10,000 judgment. You know? you know, like Andy said, I've seen it on the seller side too. Where if they don't have enough equity to be able to pay off that judgment, and so then they can't sell the house, right? So that's, that's or they, or they well. have to negotiate. We've I've been involved in many uh, transactions where we've had to negotiate, uh, you know, to get the liens renegotiate. Yep, yeah. you bet. And then or people that are on their way to being foreclosed. Back member a few years back here, we used to you know have Jeff Zweifel come in here and talk about short sales and and where we'd have these judgments, liens, pre liens. You know, there was all kinds of stuff happening. And everybody has to agree to let the transaction slide through their hands. So a lot of times that means you have to grease them a little bit. And what, what you can afford to pay usually is very minimal, especially if there's a first mortgage getting paid at a discount, you know, hence the name short. Um, they don't like to pay anybody else. And so it gets to be a very um, – you have to be very specific and you have to be very planned to make that work. We had one that a child support thing showed up at the very end. And they had to pay that off and couldn't, and couldn't pay it off and the – the one that was receiving the child support was like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm getting that money no matter what. Yeah, so and that would That be, down payment money ended up going to child support. Right, and, you know, hopefully that would be something where if we could work out a payment plan and document a payment plan and they can still qualify with that, that would be a, a, an option. But, you know, this one sounds like it was a pretty aggressive arrears. What else have you seen? Arrears. Um, through. as far as, you know, some issues, I know we were kind of talking, uh, the other day, um, like what are some of the issues that can come up that affect after you're pre-approved? I mean, typically when you're pre-approved, 
you know, you think you're good to go, but sometimes there's things that are out of your power that can that can derail a transaction. Sometimes there's things that you're directly responsible for that can derail a transaction after you're pre-approved. Um, first thing that's out of their scope is the appraisal. You know, number one, you know, you, you overbid on a on a price. You know, you're twenty grand over, and you get the appraisal, and the appraisal doesn't come in what you what you what you uh, signed up for. So then, you know, what do you do then? You, first protocol for us would be we'd try and get comps from the real estate agents and see if we can do some sort of reconsideration of value. If that doesn't work, um, then it's kind of time to renegotiate. Or and, can't you, you could restructure the loan. I mean, if it's, it's because the, what the lender wants is it's got to go off the appraised value or the sale price, whichever one is, is less. Right. Yes. So if the appraised value, so let's just say we're talking 200000 and the appraisal came in at one ninety, so we just have to do all our financing based on one hundred ninety thousand. Yep. So you're so ten, going to be, be more ten down grand payment. plus, you know, whatever your down, down payment. payment is based on one ninety. Just here, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, had a property um, up in uh, Forest Lake. They they went over and above, and uh, added closing costs in, and, and the appraisal came in like twenty five grand light. And uh, so we, we tried. We tr- we did extreme due diligence to try and find some more comps uh, just didn't work. So then what they did is uh, they took away the seller paid closing costs and then kind of cut the difference. And, you know, the borrower was uh, had enough means and, and ability to, to kind of bridge everything. So it's able to get through it. Well, and that's, yeah. that's exactly what I'm, I'm concerned with, with our under 300,000 buyers right now that are doing this where they're, I mean, and granted everybody's trying to just keep the housing market moving, but I mean, it's, 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 um, for me, it's really hard when somebody says, "Hey, I want to go buy a house for two twenty-five," and and I look at that and I say, "Yep, we can help you, but here's what you're putting yourself into for a situation, you know." And it's almost like you don't want to tell them not to buy, but you have to educate these people on what they're doing because I'm just telling you, you know, you may put yourself in a position of where instead of being able to sell in three years, with it might take you ten years because you're you're overpaying, you're paying for the future price almost of that house because there's a lot of demand for it versus paying the current value. Um, and with the appraisal challenge, what we always have is, is the money difference. And so just kind of, I think most people understand it, but ultimately the scenario you had, Chris, where it was 200 versus 190, right? And it came in at 190. The, the difference is, is this, somebody's still paying that seller the 200 and usually it's you. So they're, you're paying that extra 10,000 out of your pocket on top of having your obligations to put your 20% or 5% or whatever kind of loan you have on the 190, so it just to be crystal clear on that, because a lot of people think, oh, it's no big deal. We'll just negotiate, and a lot of sellers will cancel on you instead of giving you ten grand. Right, exactly. I mean, because I mean, it's a it's a trick some agents use. Hey, let's just go over, and if it doesn't appraise, we'll give you knowing a that it'll, it won't appraise, no. right? But here's the thing: is on appraisals, a lot of times here that I mean, we're saying, hey, people are overpaying and, and doing that. A lot of times they're not. I mean, it's what the market is at, at the time, and the appraisals just haven't caught up to it. So, I mean, all these houses are selling at that time, but they haven't closed yet, so you can't use them. Right, yeah. So, like, market value is the, the, what you agree to buy the house for. That's right. the market value, you know. But the, the seller's willing to sell for and the buyer's willing to buy it for. Yeah. Yep. You know, the appraisers have to go off of the data, and sometimes that data is a month or two behind. So, you know, therein lies the rub. I mean, maybe a month later after some of these other houses right. closed, that value will be there for appraisal purposes. But yeah, it's, but, it's you know, a tough and situation. I, and again, I, maybe I protect my, my buyers too much, but I, when I'm sitting there thinking of this, I think of, I get five grand, I mean, maybe even seven on a $200,000 buy, 
When you start talking twenty five or thirty thousand dollars difference, where you're overbidding and you're saying no inspection and and you're doing crazy stuff, I just buyer beware, man. I'm yeah. just I'm I'm not trying to cool that market down, but let's cool down think, a little bit. I think what you're saying though is, is correct in that we have to give them the information so they can yeah. make an informed decision. Right. And if we don't do that, we're we're not doing our job, and that's not very ethical. But I mean, ultimately, it's their decision what they want to end up doing. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. In this uh, in this seller's market. Should I list higher than my agent is saying? There's very little competition currently. So we have fun Welcome with that Welcome to one. my current nightmare every guys. time I talk to somebody. Um, should we go higher? Should we? And, and what, why don't you start, Chris, because yeah. I, I've got my own opinion, too. Yeah. But. I mean, I'll tell you what. Sometimes if you even go um, $10,000 higher, you could throw your house totally out of whack. What you've got to do, I mean, real estate and, and, and purchasing right now in certain market segments is an emotional decision. And you need to get it close enough to, you know, so you're not trying to sell everyone else's houses, you know, because they're priced right. And maybe you went overpriced. You got to be in right with them. And then you create that emotion and you're going to, you're going to typically get at least that or more, mm-hmm. uh, again, depending on a price, a, a market segment. An, an interesting breakdown. We look at a seller's market differently probably than most people do. Like a seller's market on paper means that there's less inventory for sale. There's more buyers than there are sellers. I look at it like there it's a seller's market for properly priced homes. There's a lot of houses that'll sit and totally. sit and sit like, you know, and, and it's just crazy. You'll see it because even you buyers that are out there watching the MLS right now, you'll say all these beautiful houses up here for 400,000. Why did that one not sell for six months? And, and was it, was it the difficulty of the showings? Were they not allowing people to see it? Were they, you know, I mean, there's a lot of they things. They did that the fix sellers, a couple of the things that, hey, we don't need to do that. Yep, and all yeah, they did you was you were the one that they used as the example of let's not buy this one. See how bad this is compared to this one. Let's go get you the deal that we really want you to get over here. Right. And so, like Chris just said, you become the pawn that they use to buy other properties because this is an example of what isn't working right now, or the right condition, or the right price. And then you know, so when the, but the, when there's less competition, that's where the gray area comes into play. I would ultimately say it's in your price range. What would you pay for your own house? So think if you think like you're a buyer. ripping, totally. think like a buyer. And if you think you're ripping somebody off, or I would never pay that price, but let's try to get it. You're kidding yourself. All right. Tell you what, time for another break. We have a more show to come catching up on your text messages from the last couple of weeks of shows. So bear with us on this holiday weekend. Stay with us here on 830-WCCO. And welcome back to this portion of the Real Estate Show on this Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for joining us. Catching up, we are on uh, some of your text messages. Uh, Chris and Andy Travis here, and uh, where do we go from this point, guys? We were thinking this was Sunday because Andy was doing his sermon over there. (laughs) I know. I felt a little preachy, Danny. I apologize to the listeners. I sometimes get these uh, coffee-fueled sermons going, and I... uh... Should maybe drink the. He's saving instead. the world. That's good. That's good. <laughs> One Hallelujah. At a time. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm oh. looking to buy a cabin. What are my financing options? First of all, uh, down payment. Um, second home transactions, ten uh, percent. So um, whatever you're going to have to expect to do at least ten percent. If you can do more, great. Uh, but minimum down is ten uh, percent. Um, other than that, I mean. All conventional loans are in play. Um, government loans are not going to be able to. Are adjustable rates in play? Adjustable rates are in play. Okay. Uh, it's got to be conventional loan or jumbo loan because the, the FHA loans and you know VA loans those are for primary residences. Um, but yeah, conventional financing ten percent down or more, and you know thirty you have, year fix, twenty year fix. Yeah, you, have, you have people do cash out refinances on their personal residence because yeah. you get a better rate. And then just use cash to buy that too. Yep. If there's enough equity in that property and, yep. 
And um, actually, on a second home, the rate is very similar to primary residence. So there, mm-hmm. there's this investment oh. properties that have the the a much higher interest rate. Um, but yeah, what's defined as a second home? Second home is something that you don't rent out. Okay, yeah, it's <laughs> and, literally a second home. Yeah, and and actually, you can rent it out. You know, oh, a, a little bit, you know, <laughs> like if you have a cabin and you rent it out for less than the half daddy. the year, you yeah. know, you, you can get by with that as a, yeah. a second home. But typically the definition in the world of mortgages is the property should be at least 50 miles away from your primary. Now, it doesn't have to be if, if you're buying something on a lake that's inside of it and you can make sense it's in a recreational area or a vacation type area. But typically 50 miles away, and then there's really no questions asked. I did a second home one time many years ago that was a little over a mile away from my home. But it was on a lake. On a lake, yeah. yeah. yeah you so, can you can make a, you can get by by buying a cabin or a second home close to your primary residence if it's on a lake. That was easy to get to on the weekend, Andy. <laughs> it was really nice. Okay, this one's going to be, people are going to kind of like, what? But, Andy, you're going to, um, oh you're, no, you're going to like this one. Okay. Our deal collapsed due to us not including the pool table. Seriously, oh, is what they said. I mean, personal property. Let's talk a little bit about personal property. Okay. Go if, ahead. If it shows, it goes. Repeat. If it shows, it, it goes. goes. And I'm telling you. Or if, they think it, it goes. It doesn't matter how many signs you put on it. doesn't matter how many things you cover up with blankets. They're going to look at it and say, boy, that fits perfect. We want that. It matches the cabinets. We want that pool table. And you won't sell it because it was a gift from your father who now has passed away or whatever the scenario is. And you want it. It's an heirloom or it's a memory. And you and you are stuck, my friend. So if that is really that important to you, recognize your real estate agent's advice and saying that get it out of the house ahead of time. If you feel the room needs a pool table to be in there and that pool table that's currently there is not the one you want to leave, then go on Craigslist. They're very cheap. Find a pool a pool table to throw in there for the the ambiance, if you will, and then but, uh, get yours out of there. But you know what? Usually, it's never about the pool table. Right. It's negotiations have gotten so hard and back and forth, and then it's finally like, no, I'm not. That pool table is going with or mm-hmm. not? And, well, no, it's not. And then it just blows up, and then it does. You can't get it back together. Yeah, that, that that's you know, Chris, you and I both are notoriously known for not wanting personal property in our in our agreements, but there are times where. You know, you get situations where that perfect, um, you know, the cabana down by the pool and it has the perfect matching furniture. And and what I would say to the seller is, is that the just like you put the effort into everything else in your house and you put in the all the, the things that make it the way it is. Maybe that's part of the sale of the house then and you intentionally include it, knowing right up front that you're going to include it, market it that you're going to include it. And and then, you know, make it part of the negotiation, if you will, in the sense that, hey, we're giving you a bunch of really cool stuff here as well as the house. But or you, you also can do is state in the in the comment section that it is not included. And I'm telling you what, what happens is when they when buyers come in and they know, OK, it's not included, they they do that right away rather than, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to play pool every night. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a party and it's going to be so awesome. And then all of a sudden you say, uh, no, the pool, pool right. table is not included. If you get, nail it right away out of there, oh yeah, that'd, that'd be cool. A pool table might be able to fit there, or, or you totally say it's rented, it. or you say it's rented, or you say it's your brother's, That's or it's lame. not mine to sell. Um, I mean, we've done. There's all kinds of techniques and, and you know things to do, but ultimately it comes down to where you're trying to sell your house, right? And that house is a place where people create memories, and if something's very substantial to you know their opinion of what the house is, like this is a recreational room and it has a pool table, and I really want a pool table. 
that maybe has to be thought about a little more before you just whip it on the market and uh, and cross your fingers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an emotional time. I mean, for both sellers and buyers. And I mean, even like with sellers, think about a seller that's maybe been on the market 60, 65 days. They probably mm-hmm. reduced the price. They got a, a low price coming in. They've had to make their beds every day for 65 days. Mm-hmm. They've had to be clean. They've had, you know, got kicked out for dinner because they, you know, had a showing and then a second showing, then a third showing. And then they call them back in three weeks. And I mean, it's it's crazy. And so it just comes down to it that those kind of things can totally screw up the whole deal. And so I think it's us as agents is that mm-hmm. we got to set that expectation right away. I mean, in a, even in the financing world, you can't even you can't include personal property. No, anyways. no. The only type of personal property that's allowable are you know the appliances, the the uh, window treatments, you know, built-in stuff. Any any additional personal property uh, technically can't be included in it. And if it is, and it's part of the purchase agreement and written in certain spots that it shouldn't be. Um, lenders will have to independently um, document the value of that asset and require you to drop the price by that much. And and that's the key thing there is that they just don't want you to buy a house and have $10,000 worth of freebies that you could sell the day that you move in the house. That's <laughs> what they're thinking. So. All right, guys, we have to head out of here. We'll be back again next week. Enjoy your holiday weekend uh, here. And uh, we're going to catch up on more text messages and pick up on your calls, too, when we come back next week with more Real Estate Show here on 830-WCCO. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices, anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.